For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Our guest today is the lead game designer for Paizo, the creator of the beloved role-playing game Pathfinder, owner of Minotaur Games and the new Eventide campaign setting. Please welcome award-winning game designer Jason Bullman to Epic Realms. How are you doing? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad here today. It's uh, it's a little warm in Seattle, but it will, we'll get through. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. And by the way, belated happy birthday. I know you had no a, a you had a birthday stream not too long ago. How did that go? How was your birthday? Uh, it it went very well. Uh we uh we had some fun. We played some party games. We played uh you know some some Jackbox, some golf with friends and uh uh we uh killed some zombies and uh, had a good time, you know. So, it was a good stream. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, you, when you were a kid, did you ever think that you'd be where you are today? Did you think you'd be like, hey, I'm going to be a game designer, do role no. playing? No, not at all. I thought I was going to be an astronaut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, at first, right? You know, the, the, and then, and then I went from being a, you know, small, you know, eight year old to being a over six foot tall teenager. And it quickly became apparent that that was not going to be in the cards. Uh, and then I uh, started drawing comics and went to an art high school where I love to draw comics and do that and use my imagination in that way and majored in drawing and painting. And then I realized I, I wasn't going to make any money doing that. So I went to college and became an, uh, an architect, which I actually did for, for several years. Um, but throughout this, there was one thing going on in the background, which was I was a, I was a gamer, right? You know, right. and I, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and gaming was everywhere in the 80s, right? You know, I yeah. went to Gen Con, my first Gen Con when I was 11, um, you know, and uh, so for me, gaming has been a thing that I've been doing since I was a kid. And um, a, as I grew up, I, you know, I never, I never stopped, right? I, you know, throughout college, I had multiple campaigns, you know, and, you know, we changed games, we, you know, we did different things, played different things. And, and over the years, I, you know, started to get involved with volunteering on the side and, and all of a sudden volunteering turned into freelance and freelance turned into a job offer. So I, you know, I don't know how I got here. <laughs> I, uh, there are days when I look back and I was just like, that was nothing but a giant string of luck. I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't plan for any of this. It just kind of happened. What was your intro into role playing? Um, I learned to play uh, with the uh, old red box back in middle school um, uh, with a with a friend of mine who, you know, it was he was he was jamming. I was playing and I made a uh, elf 
because <laughs> because that's what you were in the red box right and uh my elf's name was sir falcon Tolomir, and uh he died uh trying to uh uh rescue the cleric from the clutches of bargle uh to a yellow mold covered dinner plate <laughs> <laughs> that's what killed me I, I i grabbed a dinner plate that was described as gold and it wasn't it was yellow mold and it killed my character and I, I have been uh, trying to make the perfect game experience ever since in honor of that character. <laughs> so do you like throwing yellow molds and everything? Then? No, like, no, no. Let's throw yellow really. mold it, in it, here. It, just... <laughs> I, 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 you know, in retrospect, I'm like, that's that's a cheap gotcha. But, uh, you know, it hooked me, to be honest. The yeah. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, adversity is what hooks you into role-playing games. I, I, I get the philosophy of, you know, hey, make sure folks have a, a fun, easy, accessible first experience. But I also wanted to challenge them. I want them to walk away feeling like they earned success, not that they played something with, you know, kid gloves on. Right. Um, I want them to feel like they earned it. And if they died, I want them to feel like they were within a hair's breadth of victory and that maybe next time they'll get it. Right, I've created a lot of intro products over the years. I get I get some flack for how hard they are, uh, and I'm always like, "Yeah, well, get better." I don't I don't know what to tell. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I'll see you next time. Uh, you know, and 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 frankly, I think it's kind of worked. To be honest, I I I, I do I do. You know, I uh, blamed that yellow mold covered dinner plate uh, because right. that's what that's what did it. That's what hooked me. Uh, we had a lot of your contemporaries on uh, people that have worked with Pi Zone Pathfinder, Owen Casey Stevens, uh, James Sutter. Oh, sure. And, yeah, yeah. you know, they did, they, they, they seem to bring different things to the table uh, sure. as far as what they do. Uh, what do you, what is it that uh, obviously for creating stuff like you created Pathfinder and all that, but what is like, what is your big give? To when it comes to role playing and doing designs, is it like the 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 mathematics of it? Is it like the world setting, the 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 storytelling? What do you think is your big I, give? My my focus is always to try and create the kind of best possible experience at the table, and everything else serves that, right? Um, the world is the setting in which that story is told. The mechanics are the way in which it plays out. For me. I always like to take a step back whenever I'm trying to make a decision that isn't obvious or isn't, isn't, you know, straightforward. I always try and take a step back and, and, and analyze it from the perspective of what would make for the best experience at the table. What, what makes for the most engaging, um, fun story experience for everyone who's gathered because ultimately, right. It's a, it's a hobby in which, you know, a whole bunch of people gather together to tell a story. The rules are the framework by which it's not just, you know, chaos mm -hmm. um you know I, I was about to say like calvin ball right where it's just like <laughs> hey, make it up anything goes um you know uh, and, and the world gives a framework and setting for that and the the gm is serves as a as a narrator and kind of um arbiter of of major plot points but ultimately everybody is adding their creativity to this story uh, so everything that the game is doing should be in service to that Okay. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. My job is primarily to make rules, but making rules in service of the, the narrative and the structure is actually really hard right. to do it with intentionality, to do it with, yes, we know that the math is going to do X, Y, and Z. And that tells us this is the sort of game state we are creating. Right. You know, um, uh, I, I used to joke that uh, a big part of playing uh, my games was, you know, go do my math for me. 
Um, but but the intentionality there is is that that math is actually how you're telling the story. I just don't want you to think about it as math. Right. Um, I've been more successful than that at sometimes than others, but you know, you live, you learn, you kind of move forward. Do you prefer to be this? I always ask this. Do you prefer to be a GM or a player? I am a forever GM. I actually don't like to say I'm for, I'm the forever GM. I am the eternal GM. <laughs> I was here before. I will be here after. I am always telling stories. Um, I uh, it, it for the forever GM makes it sound like an obligation or a burden. The eternal GM is a statement of ownership. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, you're, you're talking about you know being a a job essentially. Do you feel like? if you sit down to role play with friends, do you sometimes feel like that's work or do you like that as relaxation time since that's your career? I, I think it depends, right? So in, in the past, you know, four years, I've done a fair number of gaming on streams. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, that feels a lot more like work uh, because when you're gaming on a stream, you have to kind of have everything prepped in advance to, you know, a 99.8% margin. At least I feel like I have to because I want to give a good show and it's live and, you know, right. you want to be snappy and keep things moving. You, you don't want to stop and open up the rule book if you don't have to. Yeah. Now, fortunately, you know, I have pretty good system mastery, so I, I generally don't have to do that. Um, and frankly, there are now enough web resources that even if I am running a game live, I've become very good at carefully typing out a rule while question on Google while ask, while nodding and, <laughs> right. and getting an answer, um, you know, or being able to search a database, uh, you know, while playing in, in a seamless way. But um, uh, so I think when I'm streaming, that feels a lot more like work. But, you know, uh, right now I'm running two playtest campaigns. Uh, it's the same campaign, just with two different groups. And and frankly, it's a blast. It's it's fun. It's relaxing. It's it's just what I want out of gaming. Right. You know, yeah. uh, so uh, I, I I think there's a lot of folks who feel like, especially if you've been uh, in the game business for a long enough while and it, it, it can be very challenging work um, that you've turned your hobby into a career. And sometimes that's a negative because all of a sudden it can't be your hobby anymore because even your hobby feels like work. I don't I don't feel that way uh, when when I'm when I'm just sitting down to play a game or, or you know, play games with friends. It still just feels like fun, um, but I do think when I'm streaming, it's it's less so. It's definitely more like work when I'm streaming. Yeah, I understand that. Do you uh, do you find yourself playing more than one system in a given section when you guys are playing, or when you're playing, or do you stick to whatever you're working on? Um, I I think it depends. Um, I uh, most of the time I'm I'm running whatever game it is that I'm writing. Um, okay. uh, just to keep my head in it and to keep. You know, I find that it's it's really easy to lose some of the nuance of the rules and some of the finer points if you're not actually playing it. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, even when I'm doing that, right, you know, I like to throw in another game to play now and again, even if it's just a one shot, right? Yeah. I mean, I have dozens and dozens of RPGs that I've yet to get a chance to field on the table. Um, and and frankly, just because of the number of them and and you know how finite time is, right. um, I, honestly, you know most of them are never going to get more than a single playthrough or two. Um, but I, I still want to do that, right? I want to see what other folks are inventing and dreaming up. You know, yeah. there's a lot of really interesting, engaging game design out there, and you know, I it's actually my job to make sure I'm aware of it and and cognizant of it, just so that I know what niche i think we can serve with our games 
right? You know, right. I, I think it's important. Otherwise, you can kind of blunder and just make the same thing somebody else is making, right? <laughs> was it difficult when you were switching? Because we're talking about different games. When you guys switched from first edition Pathfinder to second edition Pathfinder, was that yeah. a difficult shift? Was that hard? How did that happen? Oh, well, for 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 me, and I suggest, I, I, I would think most of the members of the design team, the, the switch was gradual. Okay. Um, uh, unlike everyone else, where it was kind of like a switch, it was like one day you were playing first, the next day you were playing second. For us, it was this slow evolution because, you know, the first thing we did when designing second edition was put together just kind of a proof of concept test. And what that was, was just kind of playing around with some of the core identity and what we knew we wanted to change about the game. But if we didn't have any strong opinions on it, we just left it the way it was. Um, just so that we could kind of bootstrap a play experience as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, but that meant that we were only kind of playing part of the game. And over time, that became more and more and more as we replaced and changed out other systems. So for me, it was actually a very gradual shift that took three years oh, wow. um, to, to fully implement because we we started designing it three years before the final release. Oh, wow. Um, and so so for me, it was it was a lot more gradual than I suspected it was for everyone else. Um, how much of a uh, heads up did they give you before that three years before you started? Was there like a heads up or was it just like, Hey guys, let's change something. Or was it just like somebody's, you know, down the line was well, like, Hey, I mean, we I, need to change it. As, as the director of game design, I had a, a lot to say when that process actually spun up and when it started. So okay. like the earliest steps of it, God, were like five years before it released. Right. Okay. You know, and that was just us kind of talking and listening and, and chatting with other folks on, on staff and, and fans, just trying to find out what, you know, what folks felt like what worked in first edition and what wasn't working or what didn't quite sing the way we wanted it to. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of that stuff started very early and, you know, was really loose. Uh, and, and honestly, the, the hard work didn't really start till yeah, about three years before it released. And, and frankly, probably more like three and a half, okay. um, where we were just putting together kind of rough tests that way we could sit down at the table and play something that was new and different and kind of get a sense of what that felt like. Um, so yeah, it was a long process. And, you know, then it, from that early test, then it went into what we called the vertical slice, which is a term I, I borrow from, uh, from uh, video game design, which is create a play experience from the beginning to the end, a complete play experience for us. Right. That meant a one to 20 play experience space but bare bones, right? You don't need more spells than you can cast in a day. You don't need more magic items than your characters can use. Uh, you don't need more monsters than they can fight to get from one to 20. That way you can just pick levels and play the game and make sure that a lot of your core assumptions were working, especially when it comes to a game that, you know, is meant to be played over several years and might have a slow scaling grade. We knew we couldn't sit down and play a one to 20 campaign but we did know that we could jump around and get a sense of whether or not the math formulas were working and giving us the play feeling we wanted. Uh, and then that turned into the beta and then the public play test. And then here we are. How much did that shift also affect how Starfinder was coming along and how much work did you have on Starfinder? Starfinder was kind of a parallel development in the early days. Mm -hmm. um, Starfinder um, kind of came about and the design team for Pathfinder put in a fair amount of work in the early days of Starfinder um, because the team that was being assembled for Starfinder wasn't free from their other tasks yet, but the work had to get started. Um, so 
um, like for example, I designed the mechanic, like that class I designed. Right. Um, I also designed the early draft of the Starship Combat Rules, um, for for better or worse. Uh, and uh, you know, so we were involved with a lot of the early class design um, and uh, a lot of some of the early game building. But there came a point where we just kind of handed it off, um, and what was in there was some of our early iterative work on what we would then continue to play with to make Pathfinder 2. It's not quite that cut and dry. They kind of right. formed at the same point and then both took radically different directions because one had to release in a year and the other one had a full two more years before even the play test. Right. So I they informed each other. They were like siblings, but but one had to go out and get a job after a year and the other one the other one got to spend more time at at college finishing school i don't know yeah. where i'm going with this <laughs> yeah no, 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 i don't know what you're i don't want it to sound like you know starfinder was rushed because it wasn't um right, right. I, that, that's not what i'm getting at what i'm saying is it's it's just a matter of one had more time because it was being iterated as an entirely brand new system where we literally pulled apart the entire game engine and put it back together. Right. That's not what we did with Starfinder. So that shaves plenty of time off of the process. Right. Definitely. How does that compare to um, designing other kinds of games? You know, you, you worked on a couple card games and stuff like that. So you're dealing with all these role-playing stuff and then you've got these other non-role-playing type sure. tabletop games. How does yeah. the creating of the system of those kind of compare or contrast to each other. Yes, yeah, so over the years I've made a handful of of card games and some some I've done some board game expressions and things like that, little things mostly. Yeah. Nothing nothing too big. Um, you know, I I kickstarted my own real simple little game called Pirate Loot, uh, which is a real simple take that kind of card game. Um, I with recently a great, did with a great art by the way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the folks who worked on that uh were great. Uh, Dylan McConus and uh oh come on. Oh, I'm dying here. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, uh, Dylan did most of the work, which is why she's coming to mind. Um, but I also recently did a, car, a party social game called Elephant in the Room, uh, which is just, uh, it, it, I didn't even print it. It's just POD. You have to, okay. you have to get it POD via drive through cards. Um, so, uh, you know, I've played around with a lot of games and actually I've got like two or three other games sitting in my hard drive that I'm just trying to find the time to finish, including a entirely different role-playing game okay. um, that I'm 80% done writing. I just need to find the time for the last 20%. Uh, and I, I think, you know, looking at all of those my my process from a ten thousand foot view is very similar right you right. know i identify you know whenever i'm trying to build a game the first thing i do is identify who is this game for and what type of play experience am i trying to create once i've kind of got those two things then it turns into okay let's build a quick rough and dirty demo of what i think the play experience should feel like to see if the initial ideas of mechanics line up with the expectations for um you know how it feels at the table right um if 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 the rules are starting to equate to the correct game experience um and 
that then just iterates and refines until the rules start being codified. And then that eventually translates into playtesting. And throughout all that, you probably get to a point of kind of firmness where you can start ordering art and getting other pieces in place, like layout pieces and that sort of stuff. And it all just slowly comes together, right? Um, the process isn't very different, no matter how big the game is. I, I, I think the, the difference is the scope of the game will make some of those pieces take significantly longer than others, right? Yeah. Development and refinement on a 640-page role-playing game took years. Development and refinement on a social party game took me three days. Okay. Um, you know, just because I was able to play it a bunch of times and go, oh, this works, this doesn't. Yeah, we're pretty much there. Right. Each card has 12 words on it. So it's not like there's a lot to develop. Yeah, you're not um, putting out a novel. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to putting out something with literally half a million words in it. Um, so, uh, you know, process-wise, they're pretty similar. Um, but the the overall outlay and, and how the individual steps work out can be very different, right? Um, the layout and the art on a card game can be very extensive just because it's a lot of graphic elements. Um, whereas, frankly, once you get the page template set up for a lot of simple layouts, like if you're just doing a simple PDF, once you have the page layout, if it's 30 pages or 60 pages, you're adding time, but it's not adding a tremendous amount of time because um, of templating and things like that. But uh, yeah, I don't want to short sell it because it is a lot of work. Yeah. But um, uh, I, I think... Uh, what I'm trying to illustrate is that the process only changes based on what the final product is uh, uh, and it adjusts and expands for that. But I think the overall process is pretty similar. Um, at least for me, I, I, again, right. You know, if I'm trying to create a game that is a competitive game that needs super finely tuned balance between the various actions and moves and stuff that, that will make that part of it take longer. Um, whereas in a game like say Pathfinder, where, the core assumption is that odds are tilted in the player's favor because they're the heroes and this is their story. And if it wasn't, it'd be a pretty sad short tale. Um, you it's know, a game I uh, want to play. I'm not the hero. <laughs> I'm not, I, people have made that game. I have played it. Um, where it's just like, well, I, I, Hey, I survived. Let's call that a win. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but yeah, I think, I think, Overall, the game design process, at least for me, feels similar. With talking about different games, how is it, and again, we're maybe jumping subjects a little bit here, but how is it for you? You, you create this world or this system, and now we've, you've got, there was a whole series of novels that were based off of it. There's card games based off of it, popular card, card games that were based off it, and video games. You know, we got Wrath of the Righteous, that you know came out not too long ago uh, how was that for you to see all that come to life i mean i'm i'm continually um surprised and amazed by some of the work that other folks do playing around with some of the things that you know i've helped make but you know uh, as in all things of this size even you know even in the games that i myself had a huge hand in um there's still always a lot of other people involved and with these other projects it's just a whole lot more people and none of them are me um you know so i i always you know i'm always humbled and 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 frankly um pretty excited to see what other people do with the stuff that i've created um there are a few things that i feel protective over that i i i, I want to be the one to make decisions about 
but I, I, I think in a business this big, you, you got to let go and you got to let other folks play in the playground. And that's right. especially true when you're building core system engine, right? I mean, I, I had a big hand in the early days of Galarian, but I haven't had a huge hand in it since because I just don't have time. I'm, I'm pretty delegated to making giant rule books and mechanics and game systems. Um, and that doesn't leave a lot of time for deciding who the mayor is of, you know, a small town in Thuvia. Um, you know, I, I, sometimes I get to make those decisions, but not very often. Is that something um, you wish you could do more of or you had time to do more of? I mean, I, I, I think that is why I do things like Eventide. It's like okay. I, I'm, I'm separating my work and, and doing some of those other tasks because I do find them enriching and engaging, right? Like I've done a lot of world building over the years. Um, but it tends to come in dribs and drabs, um, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm kind of spending a lot of time doing mechanical design. And um, there are days where I wish I could do more of it, but then, you know, I, I, I also know what I'm best at. And, and frankly, there are folks who are way better at world creation uh, than I am. At least I feel that way. Right. I mean, I think everybody in the, everybody in the game design biz feels like everyone's better at everything than they are. Um, uh, you know, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it just, you know, it, it, for me, it always comes down to a, a matter of managing how much time I have in the day, right? You know, I work a full-time job and then I, I get done at night and I'm streaming or, you know, catching up on my favorite TV shows or, uh, you know, uh, you know, playing a game or designing, uh, my own stuff. Right. And, once you start factoring all that in, it's it's only X number of hours of the day, and you you have to kind of decide where you're going to spend those. So right now, I'm on a I'm on a world building kick, and I'm enjoying it. Um, nice. You know, in my spare time. What, what, uh, because you mentioned watching TV. What kind of shows are you watching right now? Oh well, you know, I get I get you got to keep up on all the on the on all the Marvel shows <laughs> and and all the various Star Wars shows, and you know the the occasional HBO show or two. You know. Um, you know, so I'm really enjoying Miss Marvel right now. Okay. Uh, that, that show is fantastic. And, uh, uh, the new season of Westworld just started. So, you know, I, it, it's been a good week for, yeah. for fun, engaging TV shows. I thought the end of Obi-Wan Kenobi was fantastic. I'm, I'm um, still, I still haven't, and we were so far behind on Disney plus we haven't. Oh, okay. It. I'm not, it's I like... will not spoil it. Then. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but I'm, I'm a pretty. I'm pretty easy to please. Nice. Uh, what about so, games? Are you playing video games? You're on your stream. What, what, what's, uh, what are right some now, of your go to keep going back to? Obviously, I've seen you playing Wrath of the Righteous. Uh, yeah, recently. I've been playing. I've been playing Wrath. I'm in chapter five of Wrath. No spoilers, but I'm I'm about you know I'm over two thirds of the way through and uh, kind of rounding the bend into the home stretch. For those of you who know the 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 game, chapter five is kind of a there's some hard heavy hits that come at the beginning of chapter five, and I'm still dealing with those. Um, so I've been having fun with that. Um, uh, me and a, a good friend of mine, Dan, who works for uh, Sirenscape, he used to work for Paizo, Dan Tharp. Uh, him and I play on Saturdays. We tend to play a game called Seven Days to Die, which is a zombie apocalypse game. Uh, and uh, every seven days, the zombies come for you in mass. It's, they do a horde night where they yeah. come for you that night and you have to build a base. So we did some of that. It's, it's, it's fun. Well, that's it's what you're playing for your good. birthday, right? Yeah, we, we, we were playing a bit of that uh, because, as I said, every seven days and every day in the game is about an hour of gameplay. So, uh, you know, I don't stream seven hours a week uh, playing seven days. So you don't get a, a horde night every week. And and we, it happened to time out that we, we had a horde night right at the start of this week's stream. So we did that. And then we played party games and stuff. It was, it was good times. 
Nice. Uh, all right, so newest Pathfinder second edition book. You just came up with it not too long ago. Book of the Dead, which you had a pretty big hand in. I did. Uh, and I, did. I, I, one of my favorite, I don't want to say bad guys because they're not always bad guys, but one of my favorite things about role play is the dead or the undead. Yeah. Uh, and being, and the various things you can do with them because they're just so universal. Uh, what is it that makes this this book so special? So, uh, you know, for me, this is one of the first books that I've gotten cover credit on, which to get cover credit, you have to write a good percentage of it, um, you know, uh, since the core rulebook and bestiary, right? Um, and that's just because I'm busy, right? You know, and frankly, I was doing a lot of uh, Paizo streaming shows, which were eating up a tremendous amount of my time. Yeah. Um, so, um you know, when it came time to schedule this book, I was like, yeah, I want to write a huge chunk of this book because I love the undead. They've always featured prominently in my campaigns. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's, for me, undead hold a special place in the game because they are so kind of, they're such a good part of the fantasy texture, right? You know, they fit in everywhere. They're, they're good omnipresent bad guys right you know oh it's a skeleton right it's a zombie it's a ghoul right you know they're 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 good bad guys that um are are fun to fight against and there's something inherently kind of just creepy about them because you know if played right you you can either just throw them at the party as just kind of a generic baddie but you can also throw them at the party as this slowly growing plague right of right. of people dying and coming back from the dead and like they have this narrative attached to them by their very kind of nature that I find fun to play with as a GM. Um, and, you know, you can just have a, oh, you went to the crypt, there's some skeletons in there. Great, you know, right. fight some skeletons, who cares? It's fine. Uh, but it is real, real easy to kind of construct a narrative that's like, oh yeah, no, and there's a lich and it's animating this entire graveyard. And it is this entire kind of focus of the story that speaks to the nature of the creature themselves. Um, you don't necessarily get that with with too many others. So, um, you know, and frankly, some of the coolest monsters are are undead, right? I mean, yeah. come on, come on, liches, come on. <laughs> almost always one of the main main end guys in any campaigns we ever do. <laughs> I I've used the lich as the bad guy in my campaign, like eh, in like long multi year campaigns, at least three times. Yeah, yeah that's great. <laughs> is there um, in in this particular? Look, what kind of different things do you have like prestige classes or, or you know specialties or uh, so i mean uh, uh, the, the book like so book of the dead is divided up into kind of five sections and it's actually structured after uh there is a book in the pathfinder in the world of galarian called the book of the dead and it was originally written in assyrian it was a collection of scrolls but it was gathered together by geb who is this ghost wizard king um since see again ghosts they're also right. awesome uh and he gathered together all the scrolls and added his own annotations and his own chapters and his own bits to make the book of the dead that's the the fiction in the world so when it came time for us to build the book of the dead we just structured it off that premise okay. so it starts off with a collection of rules for player characters who are fighting against undead nice. as if they were like, these are like the early scrolls written mostly by the old clerics of Assyria in Assyrian who talk about how to preserve and fight against the undead and make sure that the dead stay dead. And then it 
goes from the prayers for the living is what that chapter is called to hymns for the dead, which is a chapter about playing dead characters. Okay. Right. So, oh, the first thing didn't work. So now you are undead. Here are tools for you. And that of course includes things like uh, a skeleton ancestry. So you can just be a skeleton, um, which includes some ridiculously fantastic feats. I didn't write these. I can't take credit for these, but there's some stuff in here that is absolutely perfect like the ability to when you get critically hit just collapse into a pile of bones um (laughs) and and kind of play dead and be like nope nope oh you you killed me (laughs) like i mean come on play dead like you can literally just scatter yourself on the ground and pretend like you're not alive there's some great stuff in there uh and a lot of that like so I wrote the skeleton stuff in the bestiary as well, right? You know, the ability for a skeleton to pull off its head and throw it at you. That's yeah. me. Because um, I find that stuff hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, so uh, that you get a whole chapter of stuff like that. You got rules on, uh, you know, archetypes on how to play a lich, um, okay. vampire, all that sort of stuff. And uh, from there, it goes into, um, there's there's a chapter, a massive chapter that is just a, uh, a bestiary. It's the Grim Crypt. Okay. And uh, that is just packed full of undead creatures. It's fully half the book is just more undead creatures. And there's there's stuff in there in addition to kind of new creatures. There's new material for existing undead as well. So I wrote more skeleton stuff and more zombie stuff and more lich stuff because those are the things I really love. Um, nice. So uh, I wrote a whole bunch of that stuff. And then from there, we get into some of the lands of the dead, which talks about the various places in Galarian that are controlled or or uh infested with undead so naturally we talk about gab we talk about the gravelands you know we go all around the world and talk about the places that are filled uh with the with the undead and then the last bit of it uh is an adventure uh which is unusual for us we normally don't put uh giant adventures in the back of these these books but um for this we decided to give it a try uh, dark archives features uh, small adventures but this is a full big meaty adventure it's a uh, 30 some pages um wow. that that i wrote uh to kind of be like you want to experience the undead i'm going to give you that that adventure experience nice. so um uh yeah I, I don't want to give too many spoilers but uh i uh so what I, you're saying I, is I, go get the damn book yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm saying go play it uh because i i want to hear stories uh from the tables of people who who make that that journey uh because it is it is a roller coaster <laughs> how many of the big uh um campaign adventures have you had a hand in you know like like wrath of the righteous and and stuff like that so i haven't written uh, much in the way of adventure paths um uh recently to be honest i i wrote uh back when you know we were doing dungeon and dragon magazine i wrote um uh i wrote in uh, an installment of age of worms i wrote an installment of uh um uh, the uh, isle of dread uh adventure path um and i did write an installment for second darkness but i haven't written one since okay um instead most of my adventure writing has been focused on either standalones to start the new editions of the game or uh adventures in the uh beginner box okay uh i am actually the the thing i'm doing right now is actually writing a gigantic introductory adventure um for my new setting eventide well, let's um, talk so about that, eventide sure sure so that's a patreon uh, uh yeah. item, right which they yeah. can find on patreon.com yep. slash jason bullman or yep. uh minotaurgames.com right 
Yeah, on minotaurgames.com backslash eventide will take you to the landing page. Um, so this this is a setting that I've been actually working on for several years, um, but it just kind of was living in my hard drive. And uh, um, it's taken a couple forms over the years, but eventually um, I, I realized that it wanted to be its own standalone setting. And and the the origin of this was right around the start of our internal design of Pathfinder 2. Okay. And uh, at, when it first started, it was uh, first edition, uh, just an adventure. It was just an idea for an adventure. But as I was building the adventure, I realized I needed all this world lore and stuff to make the adventure work, right? And I I, I couldn't set it in Galarian because at the time, Galarian wasn't an open thing that I could play with, um, at least not in a third party sense, right? You know, doing it on my own. Right. And uh, as I started building up the world, I realized, you know, hey, I've really got something here. And second edition was coming along as well. And I was like, you know what? I'm going I'm to design it specifically to work taking advantage of everything in second edition but even then you know second edition came out and i still wasn't ready to do anything with it so you know the, then the pandemic hit and we've all been sitting in right our houses for two years and, and eventually i was like you know what i i need a way that allows me to get this out there in in pieces and and build it as people are engaging with it that way they can take part in directing it and see it as it grows so it's not just a campaign it's an experience as well right. about seeing a campaign actually grow from scratch from someone who's done it several times and and so Eventide is this is this world that I've I've built for second edition. I'm supporting it through Patreon. Eventually there'll be PDFs and stuff that go on sale, right? So if Patreon yeah. isn't your thing, eventually you'll be able to buy bits and pieces of it. But for those who are on the Patreon, right, you can get access to all of the world documentation right now, which is some 50, 60,000 words worth of content that I've built into uh, minotaurgames.com. So once you support the Patreon, it unlocks... Okay. a whole wing of the website where all this material is located. So you can learn all about the continents, the gods, the, the, the you know, everything from the days of the week to historical events and, uh, you know, the, the main continent and zooming into the valley where the first major city is, then zooming into the city, giving great deal to about that. And then the big thing that's coming out right now is the first introductory adventure. Um, so that's what my focus is on right now is building this introductory adventure to teach everyone about the world and stuff. So the first two parts of that adventure are out now. The, 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 the second one dropped just two days ago. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's fun. It's exciting for me. It's, it's a great way to engage with folks, um, in the world building process because I do weekly streams, chatting with folks talking about what's coming up, talking about the playtest. I mentioned I was doing two playtest campaigns. Yeah. I am playtesting the adventure. Okay. Um, and so I'm running just some friends through it. I'm not streaming it or anything. I'm just sitting down with some friends and having a good time. But I'm learning a lot about it and making right. adjustments to the story and and making it a better, tighter tale. And I'm, I'm really excited about what we've put together so far. The first adventure is a riot. It's a lot of fun. And this might come off as strange, but is this a solo just you or do you have like yeah. a small team of people like editors or anything like that working so, with it as well? Well, I'll say this right now. It's it's primarily me. I'm the one doing the cartography, the writing, the layout and the base editing. But before any of it goes into a final PDF for sale, I'll be I, I, I'm currently in negotiations with both an editor and a developer. Um, okay. to give these things passes because 
listen, I'm 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 a decent writer, but right. every single writer I know is becomes better with an editor. Yeah. So I I, I really want to make sure I got a good editor uh, on staff to to kind of help with this. I'm also engaging with some artists, um, you know, to get some you know, frankly, some high quality, you know, full color pieces to, to fill these things out. Art is really expensive though. And that's why, frankly, why I'm doing the Patreon. Uh, because if I were to try and foot the bill for the art for something like this, you know, uh, a 64 page PDF that is full color art could easily cost 10 grand in art. That's ridiculous. Um, that's, that's a, that's a big investment. That's a big risky investment. Uh, right. But Patreon helps fund that stuff and makes it far more possible. And let's be kind of leap forward to, have enough funds to get art to make it look more professional that hopefully draws more people to it right it's a it's a gamble right. but um you know and is there a plan to do any other kind of crowdfunding stuff like a kickstarter or gofundme as well I, or is that going to be completely just patreon well so what i'm trying to get to right now is get to the point where i'm releasing pdfs on sites like drive through and stuff like that um that uh you know it's a nice high quality pdf and my thought is once I've got a handful of those and they're of the right size and right specifications, I'll gather them together as a book and do a Kickstarter, right? Um, I, I've had enough experience with those either as the person running it or as someone on the side to know that the best way for me to have success at a Kickstarter is to have the thing done and ready to go. And I'm just using the Kickstarter to pay for the printing and to determine how many copies to make. Um, you know, I, I think right now that is one of the big challenges in the game industry is it's hard to to properly gauge how big your audience actually is. Um, and one of the big advantages to, to crowdfunding is just being able to, you know, make the right number of a thing. So that's what I'm excited to do about Eventide. Eventide's a, a, a fun little world. It's, um, it's, it's a world with one central conceit and that, that conceit is that magic is dying. Okay. And as a result, it, that has a lot of knock-on effects in the world. Right. Um, there, there, there was this cataclysmic event that happened 800 years ago, uh, where kind of a storm of darkness and shadow covered the planet for three whole weeks. And everybody thought it was the end of the world, right? right. <laughs> Order broke down, things went, things went crazy. Uh, but after three weeks, it just kind of ended and life returned to normal. But something was different. And from that point onward, magic started becoming less and less reliable. And Primal magic disappeared from the world entirely, uh, taking with it druids. There are no druids in Eventide. Okay. Um, and uh, gnomes vanished from the world entirely. Um, and over the centuries, dwarves started returning back to beneath the earth for, for some reason. They have this ancestral longing. But those who go below never come back. And the elves, the elven birth rate just crashed. So they, they've had few and fewer elves. So there's few and fewer elves in the world. And, and throughout all this, humans are thriving. Um, goblins are thriving. Um, and there are, you know, for everything that's been taken away, I've added new things. So there's a new class uh, called the Penumbrist, uh, which I'm pretty excited about, a new class for P2 um, that I designed. And there's a new ancestry as well called Gloamlings. Um, and it, it's, it's a, it's a world that is going through some changes and there's some pretty bad things happening and your heroes are the ones who start to get wind of it. Okay. And what they do with that, what, what your group does with that is up to you. But over time you can kind of get drawn deeper into this mystery and what is actually happening and maybe even find a way to stop it. So do you know, uh, for 
you know people that have played pathfinder the stories is the the backstory of what happened is that something where you know you know what happened or is it something where it's like i've got oh. this on the side that's the story and then we'll let the players decide for their own campaigns kind of like the the Aridin stuff or anything like that so i i will say this i i think i've played and seen enough kind of narrative structures where it's like don't worry we have a plan or don't worry there's a thing here uh and then there wasn't, right. uh, but uh, and 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 that's not to say that's the same thing as Aridin, you know, just being left intentionally unsaid. No one ever said, "Yes, we're going to tell you." If from the very beginning, it was like, "We're not going to tell you," right. um, and and you can decide that if you want. Um, this is different. This is I know what that story is, okay. and and frankly, that story is the story of this world that I'm trying to tell. And once it's told, I'll probably be done. Okay. Right. Um, that doesn't mean there might not be something else to do with it later, but I do think I'm trying to tell one large cohesive story um, because I'm, I'm a big believer in building uh, stories and beats and understanding, you know, the ebb and flow of how to make a good story. And part of that is building this world in a way that I can control how some of that comes out. So like, for example, right now in the player's guide, you can learn some of the basics about what's going on, or at least what people think is going on. All right. But it says specifically in the player's guide, and I mean this very literally that some of those things that are in there are not true because it's just what people think is happening. Okay. Over time, those things will become either clarified or retconned or changed based on things that folks learn or knowledge that folks get, including the GMs. The GMs are kept in the dark as well about some of these things right now because I don't, frankly, want to give everything away right away. Right. Um, but I also want to, you know, make sure I do some of these concepts, kind of give them their right moment of gravity and weight um, because there is some really bad stuff happening. And it's, but most people are going about their daily lives because people are people, right? It's like, oh, there's, there's no more wizards in every town. O okay. How was the crops this year? Right. You know, they don't, right. they don't care that there's no wizard. <laughs> yeah. How so, does that affect? So you, you mentioned that, like keeping gems in the dark or whatever on it. How is there a plan in place for say somebody, say somebody runs an adventure and they're sure. like, I got this great idea for whatever, whatever. And yeah. then it turns out what they thought was kind of what was happening turns out to not be right. Will sure. there be an out for them to be I, to go back and change the, their, well, their I, own narrative? I think one of the great things about this is that because it's such a large phenomenon, right? It, it's not just one little thing that if folks in one area think that they've got the solution and know what it is, it's pretty easy to be like, yeah, they were wrong. Right. Um, you know, um, you, you, you thought you had come to the solution. This, the, all of this scholars work and all this stuff led you in this one direction, but ultimately it ended up being flawed. And it's not, it's not true because there have been a lot of theories over the years that said the central conceit, what the central conceit is, is pretty obvious, which makes it like in, in its scope, right? Okay. It's something to do with the nature of magic. So as long as you don't make definitive statements about what is actually happening, you're, you, you'll be able to steer clear of it, okay. right? Because it's, it's obvious that's what the scope is. It has a lot of knock-on effects, like, you know, frankly, the changes to various ancestries and things like that. The fact that, like, teleportation magic doesn't work any, as well anymore, that summon spells are kind of erratic, and sometimes the creatures don't go home. Um, that <laughs> uh, And once the spell ends, they are then uncontrolled um, and okay. usually pretty angry. Um, the fact that there used to be a pantheon of 30 some gods, but now they're down to five. Um, 
like all of these things are all tied together because it is one large narrative that's that's coming together so right now the introductory adventure is there to kind of give you a fun story it's called wolfren's fate um and it's set in the town of wormbone uh which is a town in the north of uh, the continent of Alnir. and uh wormbone is a free state and uh it's so named because in the center of town there is a tower with a, a dragon skeleton draped over it. This dragon came to town 300 years ago, burned down a bunch of things, but before anyone could kill it, it landed atop this tower, started tearing apart the tower, let out a mournful howl, and then just died. And no one knows why. They didn't hit it. They didn't do anything to it. It just died. And its skeleton petrified. And the skeleton is blocking the door of this crumbled tower, so no one's been able to go inside. And the tower belonged to a wizard named Wolfred. Okay. And the adventure is called Wolfren's Fate because 300 years later, the wing suddenly collapses, allowing folks to go inside again. So it's been 300 years and you're going into an old collapsed wizard's tower. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> I like it. And, and that's, the, that's the start of the adventure, right? You know, is that you, you are drawn together because the town is like, we need adventurers to go in here because this is crazy and we're not sending the guards in there. Right. Um, right. Because they, they in, in, in even tied folks view adventurers as kind of wild cards right <laughs> it's like i don't gotta be careful around them they're 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 unhinged they're willing to go risk their lives for some gold um right. that's that's dangerous <laughs> um so uh the pcs get to get to go in first uh, along with some other groups and uh yeah it's a, it's a fun time so that's that's the start of it and that that is the first step into a much larger story and a much larger mystery well that's exciting that's really yeah. awesome and for the people listening again Patreon.com backslash Jason Bullman, B-U-L-M-A-H-N, uh, or Minotaurgames.com slash Eventide to check yeah. that out. And uh, I'm sure that we have some people that are listening and are watching that are going to try and check that out because we have some diehard role-playing fanatics that are amongst us. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a game built for Pathfinder 2nd Edition. If you're playing Pathfinder 2nd Edition, it has all the hooks and all the pieces, right? It plays specifically with the way magic works in pathfinder second edition okay. it talks to the rules and is it something that so, can yeah. be played with other systems based on just if you just take the story i think you could um you might have to make some declarative statements about how some of the things work in those other worlds that it, it doesn't currently assume but i think you could make it work there'd be more like work but it's just like anything right yeah. you know yeah any system you could just sit yeah. down and change it up awesome they can also find you on Twitch, twitch.tv backslash Jason Bullman. Jason Bullman, man, can't talk. Uh, <laughs> so you can find, find you on Twitch there playing games and just hanging out and having having a good time. You're also on yeah, Twitter. I stream, I stream every Tuesday at around uh, 8 p.m. Pacific time, and I stream on Saturdays 4 to 8 Pacific time. All right. There you go. And you're on Twitter at Jason yep. Bullman. Yep. And uh, you do anything else, Instagram, Facebook, stuff like that? Uh, yeah, I have a fan page on Facebook that I keep up. It's a lot of the same content on, on Twitter. So if you're on one, you generally get both. Sometimes content's better on one or the other. Yeah. Um, but that is also facebook.com backslash Jason Bullman. I have my own YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash Jason Bullman. I, I, you're seeing a pattern here. Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> if you, if you I can wish remember I was where lucky. the H goes, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And a reminder to all of our viewers and listeners, this Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Central Time, we're going to be doing our next episode of the Game Masters Workshop. It's where we help you learn to run games, role play, or get better at role play. 
our guests on the show returning D&D author and game master for the Dungeon Scrawlers on Twitch, Eric Scott DeBee, will be joining us. Also, you might know him from Viva La Dirt League's D&D play on YouTube. Also, right on Twitch, game master Robert Hartley was going to be joining us. And the main GM from Twitch's role-playing, uh, Rolling Together, Chris, will be joining us as well. This is our Twitch edition of the Game Master's Workshop. So make sure to join us for that. July 11th, we're going to be joined by Pinnacle Games lead designer, John Goff. He's worked for Deadlands, Savage Worlds, GURPS, and so much more. He's an awesome guy. I can't wait to chat with him about all the things. I'm a big old school Deadlands fan myself. I don't know about you, Me Jason, too. but old Me school too. Deadlands yeah. with the, yeah. with the with chips the, with the, so With unique. the poker deck and the, the, the bag of uh, poker chips. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, love it, love it. Also, uh, we won't be doing a episode, and if we do, it will be a special Gen Con edition episode on the 25th. So uh, don't be expecting a podcast for the 25th. But August 8th, we're going to be joined by one of the most prolific D&D authors of all time. He's created a long list of many, many loved characters such as Dristu Erden, Brunor, Cadibri, Artemis, Jaraxel, and more. R.A. Salvatore will be joining us August 8th. So, nice. like, subscribe, rate, and review, all of that crazy stuff. Make sure to do that to help us and to help our guests. So, we will be doing a live stream Q&A here just in a few bits for the people that are live. Uh, so... For the podcast, I'd like to thank Jason for joining us. I appreciate you being here. And I'd like to thank everybody else for staying with us and listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Epic Realms.